0: Months ago, as we were praying and thinking about our Missions Conference, uh, we, we thought of our long-time connection with Voice of the Martyrs and how we've had different Voice of the Martyrs speak. In fact, our speaker today, his boss, actually, has spoken here at our Missions Conference. And the founder, of course, of Voice of the Martyrs, Richard Wormbrand. Many of you have been here long enough to remember when he actually spoke. And to say he spoke from this pulpit would probably be a little bit misleading because he spoke from a chair. He spoke from a chair on stage, because if you remember Richard Wormbrand's story, his feet were beaten so severely while he was in prison for his faith that he had a hard time standing for very long. So I have vivid memories of him a couple times, twice I think he actually preached here. And I don't remember if they were even missions conferences, but I remember him preaching here. And so we have this rich history. We have many of you who've worked with Voice of the Martyrs in one capacity or another, a volunteer. Uh, of course, Ray uh, Thorne uh, has a long history with Voice of the Martyrs, and he's currently our missionary in uh, Kurdistan. So I want to introduce our speaker today, but first I want to introduce uh, Scott Bloom, who is the, uh, I don't remember your title, Scott, is it just the gopher for these guys? No, it's not. Scott, Scott actually works with churches, uh, his territory goes from Indiana to California, and he works with churches to continue to advance uh, the mission and voice and word of voice of the martyrs. And so, uh, so I want to welcome Scott, too. We're, we're glad to have you with us today. <laughs> so if you remember um, Cole Richards, he was our speaker maybe 10 years ago. I don't remember exactly when. I should have looked that up. Uh, and we remember at that point we learned that uh, we couldn't have his picture in any of our promotional material or online, and that that was a pseudonym. So Cole Richards wasn't his real name. Well, Jonathan Ekman's not his real name either, and he's not going to tell us that today. But uh, Jonathan Ekman is the um, vice president of international ministry for Voice of the Martyrs. And of course, we know what Voice of the Martyrs does. We have our persecuted church bulletin board over here, uh, they work with persecuted Christians in over 70 countries. Jonathan's worked with VOM for 11 years. He's ministered in over 50 of those countries. And that's one reason that he can't use his real name or have his picture on our website because he goes into some dangerous places. And we're gonna hear some of those stories today. Before he was employed with VOM, he trained church leaders in rural rural areas of Southeast Asia for 10 years. And he and his wife, Jan, have been married for 31 years. They have two grown children. They live in Bartlesville. Let's give a warm welcome to Jonathan Ekman. But first, a video.
1: Jesus said to his followers, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And to this day, all over the world, they still do. But Jesus promised more, that those who suffer for his namesake would not be forgotten. Today, Voice of the Martyrs operates in 68 countries around the world, reaching out through persecution response, through Bible distribution, and through frontline ministry. We will share their stories. We
0: will mobilize the body of Christ to stand together with our brothers and sisters who face persecution wherever it happens. We will serve our persecuted family through practical
1: and spiritual assistance. And we will carry on the mission of the one who called us, Jesus Christ, who said, go and make disciples of all nations, no matter the cost. Okay, am I on? No, not yet. Now I'm on. What a privilege it is to be here this morning. I I cannot begin to tell you the influence that this church has had on my life for decades now. Um, Tom and Jody McIndorfer are good friends of our family. Jody has been a mentor and friend to my wife for years. She reminded me this morning, Jody, that you interviewed her for a job at the Little Lighthouse in 1985. (laughs) I think that makes us old, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and then, so I began to, to hear a little bit about uh, Tulsa Christian Fellowship. I remember reading Patrick Johnstone's book, The Church is Bigger Than You Think, in which he talks about churches that have tied their memberships to missions. He said he only knew of two. One was in the UK, and one was Tulsa Christian Fellowship. Not long after Jan and I got married, a book, or really a pamphlet, or a, I don't even know what to call it, fell into my hands called The Doulas Principle from Jim Garrett. I I was trying to think of where I got that. I think it had to be from you guys, because I don't know how else I would have gotten it. That book played a tremendous uh, role in my life. At the time, I was working in the oil industry Uh, for years. Do you remember when we had screensavers? Do you remember that, and the little words would bounce on your screen? For 10 years, mine was do-loss, right? And It was to remind me that we are slaves of Christ. And it's played out in my life all the way to today at Voice of the Martyrs, where we are servants of persecuted Christians around the world. I later took perspectives here at Tulsa Christian Fellowship. So this church has had a tremendous role uh, in my life. Now, I knew that Cole had preached here. I had forgotten that Richard had preached here. So when I heard that, my knees kind of wobbled just a little bit. So uh, And then when I found out Gordon was a good friend of, of Richard's, Now I was even more nervous. So this morning, we're going to have a good time, but I just want to tell you what a privilege uh, and an honor it is for me to be here. As was said, I I get the the privilege of leading the international work at Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, Kind of a thumbnail sketch of what that looks like. Our staff is now made up of 93 uh, field workers, uh, 25 nationalities based in 24 countries. Uh, in 2022, we did projects in 75 nations. We, uh, we will do about 1,800 projects uh, around the world uh, this coming year. And we really just do three things. You saw in the video. We do persecution response. How do we come alongside our brothers and sisters and help them to continue? Right? We, we don't evacuate people out of the place. We want the church to stand. How do we help the church to stand in these very difficult areas? And we do that by giving them Bibles. We believe, for my staff, Bible smuggling is a core competency for my staff. Uh, We believe that every Christian in the world deserves the right to have their own copy of God's Word. Whether that's paper and ink, or digital, or audio, or even in some context, an oral Bible. And then the final thing that we do is is we uh, equip frontline workers. How do we come alongside indigenous workers and help them take the gospel further? That's everything from bicycles and motorbikes to training. Uh, When I was first working in India, carpets and drums so the church could meet. uh, Whatever they need to see the gospel continue to advance in the world's most difficult and dangerous mission fields. At VOM, many of you are aware, we only work hostile and restricted access countries. So I always say if you can get a missionary visa, we don't work there. People need to work all over the world. That's not what God has called us to do. Uh, for us, a restricted-access nation is where the, really the government is your enemy. Think North Korea, China, uh, places like that, much of the Middle East. Hostile is where the, the persecution really comes from your, your village, your clan, your family. Um, and often it is incredibly violent. It's something that's really hard for us to wrap our brains around sometimes, how fathers can kill their sons or daughters and, and things like that. So this is what we get to do day in and day out. Uh, yeah, for 11 years now. For me, BOM has been around for about 55 years now. Uh, and this morning, I just want to try to bring you some encouragement from your persecuted family. As we look around the world, as I I I, say, I always tell my wife, I know I'm getting old because I'll watch the news and I'll think it's time to die. Right? It's chaos everywhere, and everything seems out of control. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. And what I've learned over the years is this. Our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world can teach us a lot about what does it mean to live out the Christian life? What does it mean to continue to advance the gospel even when everything around you seems to be going the wrong direction? So I want to read us a passage of Scripture this morning just to remind us that what we're walking through now is not new. Uh, If you have your Bible, please turn to Psalm chapter 2. Verses 1 through 6. And would you guys stand in honor of reading God's word? I know sometimes we forget, we take this for granted, but we've been to so many places where they would give anything to have this book. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to gather as brothers and sisters, as the body of Christ, and, Lord, to celebrate uh, your salvation, Father, what you've done for us. To celebrate the fact that we get to play a part in what you are doing in the earth. Lord, may we never take it for granted. Lord, I pray that you would raise up more and more missionaries from this church. Lord, I pray for the missionaries who are represented on this this map in the back and at the booths. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and their work. I pray that you would empower them, equip them, give them everything they need to see the kingdom of God continue to advance in the world's most difficult and darkest places. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. One of the things that I love to remind people of, VOM, we're a somewhat unique organization because we're an interdenominational organization, which I always say, somewhat jokingly, we work with everyone from Presbyterians to wild-eyed, pistol-waving Pentecostals, right? And the Pentecostals are often a lot more fun to work with. And we, we work in these hostile and restricted access fields, and because of this, this job that we have, I had this kind of front row seat to what God seems to be doing in the earth. I come into my office every morning, I have emails from all over the world, and I have emails of both a tremendous triumph as the gospel continues to advance into places we never thought it would get to, and then also just tragedy as, as our brothers and sisters suffer. It is absolutely true. Our brothers and sisters are suffering like never before in some of these fields. And yet they continue to do it. It is a challenge to me. But having this front row seat, here's what i love to remind Christians. This is funny. You guys are a church that lives and breathes missions, so this will not surprise you at all. But most places that I speak, it's shocking to people. So be shocked. No, don't, you don't have to worry about it. These are without question the most exciting days to be alive in the history of the church. There has never been a time in church history like right now where we see movements among Muslims, among Hindus. We see the gospel continuing to go into places we never thought it would get to, places like the Maldives and Bhutan and places like that. And we have the privilege, you and I, the privilege of being a part of that. It's exciting these days to watch the global south begin to take the lead in gospel proclamation and we get the privilege of coming along beside them i i now have two global south leaders on our international mission council which is the decision-making body for our organization when it comes to international work that didn't seem possible eleven twelve years ago and god continues to do it so these are exciting days that we live in so i always say to people if you find yourself afraid these days you give you a piece of advice turn off your television Pick up your Bible and look at what God is doing in the nations. God is not surprised. God is not wringing his hands in heaven, wondering what's going to happen uh, with the latest war. What's going to happen with China now? God is not worried about that. He sits in the heavens. He is our sovereign ruler. So we we are a part of this global body of Christ, and there is certainly a part of our body that is suffering, the persecuted church, persecuted Christians around the world. For 11 years, I've spent about 100 days, at least 100 days a year, in the field with persecuted Christians, sitting on the ground in a village with brothers and sisters who have suffered for their faith. And I want to bring you this morning just some encouragement from your brothers and sisters this morning. Can I do that? They're not here. They can't be here. But I want to share with you what I think they would say to us today. The first thing is this. They would talk about the joy of an eternal perspective the joy of an eternal perspective. Hebrews twelve one and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have to have this eternal perspective. You know that there is more to this life than right here, right? We have to know that. It's one thing in church to say, oh, yeah, I know that. It's another thing on Tuesday when things don't seem to be going well. We have to be able to keep our eyes on this eternal perspective. My favorite quote from Richard Wurmbrand, our founder. In fact, it's on a plaque above my door, so I see it every time I walk out of my office. Richard said this, a man really believes not what he recites in his creed, but only those things he is ready to die for. Think about what are the things that you're ready to die for. Those are the things that you really believe. Those are the things that matter uh, in your life. Let me tell you a story about a brother of ours named Pastor, we'll call him Pastor Ibrahim. Pastor Ibrahim is a South Asian missionary working in the Arabian Peninsula. I can't tell you the country, You'll, some of you will figure it out. In the, south, in, um, in the Arabian Peninsula. Pastor Ibrahim's wife works for the World Bank. She, they got transferred there to work in this country, and they saw it as great joy because they'd always wanted to work among Muslims in the Middle East. So they go. It's a very, very hostile place. Pastor Ibrahim walks around with a collar, right? With a clerical collar. Who does that, right? He wants everyone to know he's a pastor. About two years ago, he was leading a service one morning early. And uh, as they were pr- this small group of believers, maybe ten people in a room, were sharing and praying, a group of men came into the room with guns. And they began to yell at the people and threaten them. And there was kind of chaos. You can imagine, right? Chaos. And they were telling them that they had to come back to Islam. They had to come back. And they put a gun to Pastor Ibrahim's head. And when, I, when we were sitting with Ibrahim, he said... It was crazy in the room. And he said, and I felt empowered by the Holy Spirit to say this. Be at peace. Soon we will be with Jesus. Right? Be at peace. Soon we will be with Jesus. And Ibrahim said, a supernatural peace fell over that room. And it got very quiet and very still. And the men with the guns laid their guns on the ground and walked out. Right? And left them. Pastor Ibrahim is still there, still wearing the clerical collar, but how does a man do that? How does a man in that moment say to his people, be at peace, soon we will be with Jesus? He has an eternal perspective. There is much more to this life than right here, right? We are eternal creatures. When I first started working in missions about 25-ish years ago, I made a trip to Burma. Myanmar. Burma is my favorite country on the planet. I love it. Um, I've been there creeping up on 60 times uh, over the years. We were training leaders there. We would go for a month at a time. My wife is the hero of our story because she would stay here with the kids. I would fall off the planet, literally, call her from Bangkok and say, okay, sweetie, we're headed in, and I would call her 28 days later when we would come out, right? Jody knows. She's nodding her head. She's, she probably thought I was a terrible husband uh, during that time. But when I first started going to Burma, my, my friend there was a man named John Jay Son. And he taught me a prayer that I still pray to this day every morning, right? We, he came to my hotel the first day that I met him, and we were going to go to the village. And he came to the hotel, and he, we got in the car, and he said, let's pray. And we prayed this prayer, Father, we place our lives in your hands to do with as you will. We pray only that you be glorified, whether by life or by death. And then we took off for the villages, right? And I will never forget the early days with John where if we would be in a village and if two or three people came up, which a lot of people came up because I was white, and they would come and try to rub the tanaka, right, the, the white off my skin. And if two or three people came up, uh, John would elbow me and he would say, Preach. And I remember the first time I, did, I said, "What do I preach?" And he said, "The gospel. You do know the gospel, right?" <laughs> yeah, John, I, I know the gospel. Sorry, um, but it is this idea of man placing our lives in God's hand every single day, and not assuming that God knows we're doing that, but to literally do that—to say there is more than this life. Lord, we place our lives in Your hands to do with as You will. Apparently, You be glorified, whether by life or by death. A couple of years ago, I was in northwest Nigeria, up along the Senegal border, uh, and was meeting with a pastor. And this pastor, I I often say that when I meet with our brothers and sisters, I feel like the least spiritual guy in the room, right? I don't know if you guys have ever had that, if you've been out on these frontiers, sometimes with these missionaries. I've spent a lot of time with Ray Thorne. I usually feel like the least spiritual guy in the room when I'm meeting with Ray Thorne. Um, But I was meeting with this pastor... And he lives right on the uh, Senegal border, uh, or the Cameroon border, sorry, the Cameroon border, where Boko Haram comes in, into northern Nigeria, northwest Nigeria, and persecutes believers, kills them by the thousands, brothers and sisters, thousands and thousands. And he pastors a church right on the main street in this town, has a cross on it, right? And he had already sent, when we were meeting with him, he would already sent his family six hours away so that they would be safe, and he was still there. And we were meeting with him, and he was telling us his story, and he says, everyone in the village says they're going to kill you. It's just a matter of time. They're going to kill you. And he's probably right. They're probably right. And I asked him a question that I thought was really smart, but he looked at me like I was stupid. I said, brother, why do you stay? Right? It seems like a normal question that we would ask someone. Why would you stay if you've already sent your family away and you know they're going to kill you, why don't you stay? And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, brother, what happens to the flock if the shepherd runs, right? And then he paused again and he said, and what about the gospel? Where does a man get that kind of courage, the joy of an eternal perspective? But there is more than this right here. That brother is still there in, on the border in Cameroon. It will not surprise me to hear that he's been killed, but I've also heard he's doing incredible work uh, in that area. There's a lot of frustration among the Muslims in that area that if if Boko Haram is what it means to be a Muslim, they don't want any part of that. And this pastor is there helping them. Another example, in Colombia, we work with church planters, and we work with an indigenous sending agency that sends church planters into uh, red zones, hostile fields, right? Controlled by the guerrillas, very violent, very difficult place to work. And I was meeting with the leader, and he told me about this this group that they have that go into red zones. And they before they go, they get trained, they get they raise their funds, they're ready to go, they know where they're going to go. And the last step before you get on the bus and head to the red zone is you have to fill out a card. And if you and your wife are going, you both have to fill out a card. And this card says... Only has three questions. Very simple. You just have to affirm them, right, to get on the bus. The first one is, I'm as right with God as I know how to be. Okay? Sunday afternoon, I'm good, right? I, I, as right as I know how to be. Second question, or second statement. I have said goodbye to my friends and my family. A little harder there, right? Last one. I will not run. I will not run. And I asked the the leader of this group, how in the world? (laughs) How do you find people that will fill that out and say that? He said, brother, we have a waiting list. We just need more funds, right? I've talked to pastors all across America and told them that story and said, would you sign that card? I've yet to find one that would sign it. I would guess that here I would find an elder who would sign that card. But most places I don't find anyone that would sign that card. Brothers and sisters, the joy of an eternal perspective. What allows our brothers and sisters to endure what they endure? Obviously, the power of the Holy Spirit, but also this perspective, this idea that there is more than this. That in a moment, I will be with Jesus. I will be with Jesus. I pray that you and I uh, can live our days with this anticipation of eternity. That we will know that there is joy. That to be absent from the bodies, to be present with Christ. It is a powerful thing in the lives of our brothers and sisters. The second thing is just the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I think in living in the U.S., we have a tendency to take it for granted, the Bible. I'm a Bible snob. It's the only thing I buy. I like Bibles, right? And I have a lot of them. And we were at a church where in uh, Girls in Action, their little mission program, you were supposed to count the Bibles in your church and, or in your house and then give a quarter for every one of them to the missions offering. I thought we were going to take a mortgage out on the house, right? I love Bibles. I love the Bible. Um, but even, even that... Sometimes we, we do. We take it for granted. We have it in our pocket. It's everywhere. And I think we forget sometimes the power of that book and what God has done and will do through that book. I want to tell you a story about a good friend of mine. His name is, we'll call him Gowda. Gowda is one of my best friends in India. Uh, he lives in Bangalore, India. And I've worked with him and known him for almost 10 years. And we have, he has drugged me all over India uh, with him. Um... He is an amazing man. He was part of the RSS. He was part of the radical Hindutva movement as a young man. Was involved in beating up some pastors and burning down a church and things like that. And one day, his mom got sick. And she went to the hospital. Well, in Bangalore, the best hospital is the Bangalore Baptist Hospital, right? So she ends up in a Baptist hospital. And in that hospital, they gave her, can you guess, a Bible. A Bible. And when Gouda saw that Bible, he was furious at his mother. And he threatened her, and he told her to get rid of that Bible and to take it away. He told me years later he was ashamed of the way he talked to his mother because she had that book. And he went out, and and he couldn't get that out of his mind. She didn't give it to him. And after about six months of some difficult things that happened to him uh, in the RSS, uh, he came home, and he decided he was at a crossroads He needed to figure out what he was going to do and believe. So he walked into the house. He demanded that his mom give him the Bible so he could read it. And he said this He said, I walked up on the roof of my house, an angry Hindu. And I came down the next morning, a follower of Jesus. Right? He hadn't met a bunch of Christians. He hadn't met a missionary. He hadn't met anybody. He. There wasn't a gospel track in that Bible, right? A chick track or anything like that in that Bible. He just walked up and spent the night reading the Word of God, and it radically changed his life. Gouda is now one of the boldest guys I know. He scares me sometimes when I'm with him, right, with what he wants to go and do. Um, And he will say it's all about the Bible. He wants to distribute Bibles everywhere. I think he would spend 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, giving people Bibles if we would let him. He would work himself to death. So we don't let him do that. But we do he does distribute a lot of Bibles. But the idea, and this is the thing that I think we forget sometimes, that this is a powerful book, right? Why, Why do the nations, why do the restricted nations around the world not want this book, right? Because you would think, well, just give them a book. There's no pastors. There's no missionaries. Just give them a book. This book's more powerful than the pastors and missionaries, right? Because it's alive. It's living and active. And they don't want this book there. So our goal at Voice of the Martyrs is we want to give every Christian a book, a Bible, right? Every single one. We believe they have the right to have that. So we will smuggle Bibles everywhere. So I want to tell you a great... Uh, well, I think it's a great story. COVID. Do you guys enjoy COVID? I know, I know Joel's wife is... Yeah, there he is, sitting back there with a mask. Um, COVID was a terrible thing, especially if you travel internationally. What a nightmare, right? I mean, we were just talking this morning about taking the test, the COVID test, to come back to the U.S., the most nerve-wracking part of any trip. Um, But I think, and I could be wrong, but I think I might know part of the reason God allowed COVID, okay? So go with me here. I'm being somewhat facetious, but not entirely. In the Middle East... We had Bibles staged outside of a very restricted country that we had been trying to get those Bibles into for a couple of years, and we could not get them across the border because the border was closed. It was tight. We couldn't get it through. And then COVID comes. And what happened when COVID came? The whole world locked down, right? So suddenly the border, it's not so tight anymore, right? Because everyone's at home, right? (laughs) Right? So over about a three or four week period, we moved 50,000 Bibles across the border into this country, right? And it was an amazing thing, because they would almost just get waved at as they drove by, right? Now, obviously we don't do that in big trucks that say Bibles on the side, right? I mean, they, were, they were trucks that were built for this. And we moved them across the border. Well, now we have them in this country, but distributing them in this country has always been a super dangerous thing. Friends of ours have gone to prison because they were distributing Bibles in this country. But what else came with COVID? Mask. Did you guys have that experience with COVID where you didn't know who your friends were, right? You'd walk up and say, is, is that you? And you've got to pull your mask down and all that. Well, that happened everywhere. So suddenly, what used to be going out in the middle of the night and putting New Testaments in a mailbox became very wide open. So I've watched hours and hours of videos of Bible distributions happening in this country where they're just setting them on park benches, right? And they just sitting back and waiting for someone to pick it up. And I, I, I loved, they were mostly millennials, younger people that were doing these distributions. And they would go up and they would have their cell phone turned toward them. They'd hold it like this and go and talk to them. And I remember a young lady walking up to a kind of a tough looking guy. And she said, do you know what that is? It's a book about Jesus. And he looked at her and he said, what you're doing is very dangerous. And she said, I'm not afraid of you, right? I love it. I'm not afraid of you. Why? Because she has an eternal perspective, right? But God allowed us to put all these Bibles into this country in front of one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Why? Because of the power of the Bible. Because of the power of the word of God. How else will they hear? Now, we as missionaries, we're going to go tell them But man, if we can give them that Bible and they can read that Bible and watch it change them. You've all had this experience, right? Everyone in this room has had the experience of sitting with the Bible and reading a passage that you've read a hundred times before and it never said anything to you. And then that one moment, right, it is exactly what you need. No other book does that right? You can read Moby Dick all you want and there's not a passage that's going to suddenly jump out at you and say, wow, that's going to change my life, right? But the book of Jonah will absolutely change your life, right? Absolutely can, in the power of the Holy Spirit, do those types of things. So, the power of the Word of God, brothers and sisters, what is the global church crying for? Bibles. How do we get more Bibles? It's what we're doing in Ukraine. How do we get Bibles into Ukraine? Places like that. Richard Warnbrand said once, um, if you are not willing to die for what is in the Bible, you should not give money for Bibles. Because if you give, we will smuggle more Bibles. And if we smuggle more Bibles, there will be more martyrs. We still believe that is true today at Voice of the Martyrs. If you don't believe what's in that book, don't give us money for it because we will absolutely smuggle that. We moved, in 22, we moved about 1.7 million Bibles into hostile and restricted fields. Like I said, smuggling is part of what we do. So we are going to put Bibles in the hands of every believer. When Ahmadinejad was head of Iran, he famously said, there will be no Bibles in Iran. At Voice of the Martyrs, our official stance was, we don't care what he says. Right? We hold God's law to be higher than man's law. God has told us, get them Bibles, and we're going to get them Bibles. So we have the joy of an eternal perspective. We have the power of the word of God. Then we have the boldness of a Christian. The boldness of a Christian. Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I I love that, that phrase. They were common men. They weren't all seminary trained Bible scholars, right? They were common men. Our experience around the world, God is using common people, common men and women all over the world to change the world. I'm going to tell you two stories. They're probably the two events or two things that have most impacted me in 11 years at VOM. The first one happened a few years ago in western China. Uh, I and one of our co-workers, we were working in Rumshi, China. Rumshi is about as far west as you can go. It's where the Uyghurs are. We, in fact, we were there meeting with underground Uyghur pastors. And it was, it was an amazing time. We didn't see any other Westerners when we were there. And it was the thing where they would pick us up and drive us around town, and we'd end up two doors down from the hotel for a meeting just to make sure we weren't being followed. Um, and we had an incredible time. God is moving among the Uyghur people. Um, so continue to pray for them. But but we go to get on the plane and we're going to fly to Arum, or from Arumshi, China to He or, uh, Hohat, Inner Mongolia, right? I have a great job. I don't know how, what about you guys, but flying with those places, it's unbelievable. And when I fly, as, you, as was said, Jonathan's not my real name. Um, security is a big deal to us as much for those that we're meeting with as us. We're not that worried about us. We're very worried that the government would figure out who we were and then go back to who we were meeting with. So when I fly in countries, I don't talk to people. I don't want to talk to you. I'm not the evangelist on the airplane. That's not what I'm going to do. So I don't like to engage in conversations on that flight. So I get on the plane in Arumshi, China, and I did what I always do. I sit on the aisle, and I put in headphones, and I get out a book, and I don't make eye contact with people walking down the aisle. Have you done that where you get on a plane and someone's like watching everyone go by? That may be you. Uh, I, I don't do that. I don't want to look at people. Um, so I'm looking at my book, and when people come to sit on my aisle, I don't greet them. I just stand up and sit down. And it's not really that I want to be mean. It's just I don't want to start a conversation uh, with them because they're going to ask me, what are you doing in a rum sheet? And visiting underground Uyghur pastors is a non-starter, right, for us. <laughs> So I don't want to have that conversation, so I just, I just stand up and they get in, and on this day, I stand up and an, an elder, an older Chinese businessman in a suit gets on the window, and just before the plane takes off, a young Chinese woman gets on the plane and sits right next to him. Now, I haven't greeted him, haven't said anything to him, and I've just got headphones in, looking at a book, please don't ask me why I'm here, right? And... As soon as they close the door and they push the plane back, she reaches over and she taps me on the shoulder. And I thought, ugh. So I, I kind of act frustrated. And I take my headphones out and I close my book and I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, excuse me, sir, do you know Jesus? Okay. So I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Grew up, yeah, going to church my whole life. This moment was the very first time anyone outside of a church had ever tried to share the gospel with me. I thank God for the local church because I would have been a card-carrying pagan, right? But she's put me in a crisis now. I have this small existential, do you acknowledge that or do you deny Christ? And I thought, I can't deny Christ. I'm about to order a ginger ale, right? You can't, you can't say, oh, no, I don't know him. So I said, yes, ma'am, I know Jesus, She's half my age. I talked to her like she's my mother this whole time. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, I know Jesus. She said, oh, so you're a Christian? And I said, yes, ma'am, I'm a Christian. And she said, are you a good Christian? And there's there's not a hint of guile in it. She's just asking the question. She said, so you're a good Christian? How do you answer that question, right? I don't even know. I mean, if I ask you, are you a good Christian? Sure. I said, yes, ma'am, I think I'm a good Christian. She said, well, do you read your Bible every day? oh, yes, ma'am, I I read my Bible every day. She said, do you pray every day? Yes, ma'am, I pray every day. She said, do you tell people about Jesus every day? I said, oh, no, ma'am, not every day. And she said, I will never forget, she said, I will pray for you. (laughs) Right? Now, the thing is, she wasn't judging. I didn't feel like she was judging. I felt like it was honest. She was just going to pray for me. So I did the American thing and said, that'd be great. I'd appreciate it if you'd pray for me. Thinking that she would... Pray for me when she got home. No, we're still rolling down the tarmac. And she puts her hand on my shoulder, and she begins to pray for me, right? And I will never forget, one of the things that she prayed for me is that I would have boldness and the courage of my convictions. Right? And I was humbled by that prayer. I, I will never in my life forget that moment. So we're, we, about that time, we finally take off, right? And we're flying, And we're having a conversation. She's telling me that she's learning English from a bilingual Bible. Her English is already better than mine. I used to say I'm almost fluent in English. I can get around town, order a sandwich, those kinds of things. So she's she's learning English. She's talking about her favorite worship music, which was Hillsong or whatever was popular a few years ago. I'm old. I can't keep up. Um, And then we just had a brief conversation. And then she said, you should pray. I'm going to talk to him. Right? The old businessman on the window. Now, talking to me is not a threat for her because I don't even look a little Chinese, right? I'm an aggressively built old white guy. That guy looks like the poster child for the CCP, right? And what she's about to do is very dangerous. And I said, I will pray. And she turned to that man, and I kid you not, tapped him on the shoulder, right? And in Chinese, I'm confident this is what she said. Excuse me, sir, do you know Jesus? And she talked to him for about 15 minutes. She turned back to me, and she told me his name. And she said, we should pray for him. I told him about Jesus, but he doesn't believe. So somewhere over central China, we prayed for that, that brother. Um, and I remember just being humbled in that seat, right? And I, I listened, and I watched what's happening in China. And there's a, it's a very difficult season in China and at the same time, I'm not worried about our brothers and sisters in China. Because if a 25-year-old young lady will tap an old, grumpy white guy on the shoulder and say, excuse me, do you know Jesus? They're going to be fine. <laughs> in fact, I, I like to challenge you guys. I, I've Growing up in the church, I've been to all the evangelism courses, right? CWT and EE and all those. I think she may have the very best evangelism strategy I've ever seen. She didn't build a bridge to me. She didn't try to find something we had in common. Nothing. She tapped me on the shoulder as soon as she had the opportunity and said, excuse me, do you know Jesus? So from an old guy, I I dare you. I double-dog dare you this week here. You live in one of the largest English-speaking mission fields in the world. I dare you this week to walk up to a stranger, tap them on the shoulder, and say, excuse me, do you know Jesus? You have no idea where that could go. Young ladies in China are not the only people left that are supposed to be sharing the gospel. White folks in Oklahoma are still supposed to be sharing the gospel because we're surrounded by lostness, right? You can, there are people then walking this in this church who've never heard Jesus' name. If they've heard his name, they have no idea what the gospel is. They just know it's something. And God may very well use you. And what usually keeps us from doing it is this. We're worried about what are we going to say. we worry worried that they're going to ask us a question we don't know the answer to. Like, why did Peter wear long robes? In my experience, they've never asked me that. If they ask you that, bring them to one of the elders. Say, come with me. I've got some guys you should talk to. But I dare you to tap someone on the shoulder this week and just say, Excuse me, do you know Jesus? What's the worst thing that could happen? I can promise you this. They're not going to beat you with rods in the street like they're going to do to a pastor today in India. That's not going to happen. They may laugh at you. Our world is crazy. People do all kinds of things these days that are laughable. We might as well do it with the truth, right? So let's talk to people. Look for that opportunity. Have the boldness of a Christian. It's the one thing that I think our brothers and sisters in these hostile and restricted fields can teach us more than anything. It's just their willingness to share the gospel. We talk often at VOM about the uh, knowledge-obedience gap. In America, we have high knowledge and low obedience. In the fields that we work, they have low knowledge, high obedience. We, we see people go to jail for sharing the gospel. They're, they're probably not even believers yet. They're just trying to follow what they're supposed to do. I dare you to sh- tap someone on the shoulder. One last story. When I first came to VOM, I led our work in India. And one of the coolest things that I got to do was I got to hang out uh, with a group of indigenous church planters. We were in U.P. State, Uttar Pradesh, uh, working with indigenous church planters. And we were meeting with like 500 indigenous church planters at a big rally in U.P. State. And I got to interview some of these brothers. And I will never forget a young man walking up, and he had a bicycle. He was pushing a bicycle. But it was a a modified bicycle. It wasn't a fancy bicycle. It wasn't like a Cannondale mountain bike. It was more like my grandfather's, you know, bike. It had two wheels, pedals, and handlebars that did that, right? But he had done a few modifications. On the front, he had put a loudspeaker, Right? And really one like from high school football, you know the gray ones that are for volume, not quality of sound, so it's loud. On the back, he has a stack of gospel literature and a lantern. And on the crossbar, he's put a drum, like a snare drum without a snare. And he came walking up and he had a big smile on his face and said, brother, I cannot wait to hear about what God has given you today. He said, oh, brother, the Lord has given me an amazing ministry. I said, I'm sure he has. What do you do? He said, I ride my bicycle into villages where there are no Christians and there is no church, and I bang on my drum. And I said, you may be the coolest guy I've ever met in my life, right? I said, well, what happens when you bang on your drum? He looked at me and he goes, well, people come out in the street because there's someone banging on a drum. And I said, yeah, okay. I said, well, when the crowd comes out, what do you do? He said, when the crowd comes out, I preach the gospel. And I said, you are the coolest guy I've ever met in my life, right? I said, well, what happens? Tell me. What happens when you preach the gospel? He said, brother, sometimes it's amazing. We see the Lord touch the hearts of people. And we see the birth of a church where there's never been a church before. I said, oh, I said, that's amazing. I said, what about other times? He said, oh, they beat me. And I said, brother, I am so sorry. I said, what do you do when they beat you? He said, when they beat me, when I wake up, I ride to the next village. Brothers and sisters, ride to the next village. Sorry. <laughs> ride to the next village. Brothers and sisters, we know of hundreds of Indian church planters in UP State riding into villages today, banging on a drum to preach the gospel. People ask me sometimes, is persecution coming to America? Yeah, probably. Why aren't we seeing more? Because we're doing so little, right? I mean, students, if if you were to go to Woodland Hills Mall with a snare drum and stand in the parking lot and bang on it, do you think a crowd would come up? Yeah, but people would wonder what in the world's going on, right? And if you began to preach the gospel, do you think the authorities would show up? Pretty confident that would happen. So what are we going to do? The challenge, the encouragement and challenge from our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world is this. God has given us... Unbelievable opportunities to be his people in the earth. We have the joy of an eternal perspective. We have the power of the word of God in our hands. And we have the boldness of the Christians, right? Boldness is the legacy of the disciples, right? The disciples were bold. They went everywhere. That's why all of them were martyred except for maybe John, right? So what will you and I do? One of the things I would ask you to do this morning, besides share the gospel with someone this week, is to begin to pray. These brothers and sisters live in places most of us will never visit. But you have the opportunity to pray. And your prayers can work abundantly. It is the number one request we get when we sit down with persecuted believers. I I told you about the group in Columbia. Uh, I will not run. In July, I was in... Columbia, and I met with Janet, the latest widow of a martyr there, and she told us the story. She's still in that same village because she said God called me to this village just as much as my husband, right? And when I asked her, Janet, what, what can we do for you? What do you need? You know what she said? Will you pray for me? Surely we can do that. As ambassadors of Christ, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and will be hated by the world. And what do we count on? Prayers. Prayers of our brothers and sisters, prayers for our brothers and sisters. There's a table over there that has the new global prayer guide, has the countries that we work in and ways that you can pray. I would beg you to do that. Uh, Another way you can do that is what I challenge younger people with. Take that thing and pick a country you've never heard of or known almost nothing about. Pick something like Djibouti. If for no other reason than it's fun to say, right? And begin to learn all that you can about Djibouti. And begin to learn about what God is doing in Djibouti. And begin to pray. And you never know what may happen. I love Burma because in high school I had to read To the Golden Shore, the biography of Adonai and Judson. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to go to Burma someday. Now it's like going to Dallas, right? I've got a lot of friends there. I know where things are. God does amazing things. My prayer is that you, a church that lives and breathes the gospel and the missions, that you would be empowered to pray for the nations like never before, for our brothers and sisters in these difficult and dark and dangerous places around the world. God has given us the freedom and the ability to pray for them and we, I pray that you will take that as a challenge to pray. Amen? And if God calls you someday to go there, even better, right? Let's pray. I want to close with, just with a prayer that the church has prayed for decades or actually hundreds of years uh, about the nations. Oh God, you've made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed son to preach peace. To those who are far off and to those who are near. God, grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.